Welcome to the American Maritime Podcast. We are happy to have you all with us today. I am Jennifer Carpenter, Chairman of the American Maritime Partnerships Offshore Wind Subcommittee and President and CEO of the American Waterways Operators. I am delighted to be hosting today's podcast. Now, if you're new to the American Maritime Podcast, we talk about the issues that matter to the 650,000 American men and women who make maritime work in our great country. We want to thank the American Maritime Partnership for making this podcast happen and for being the voice of these dedicated Americans. Not only do they move critical goods between U.S. ports, but they are the eyes and ears of our nation's waterways. And as we've all seen most recently through the pandemic, they rise to the occasion when America needs maritime most. Talk about essential workers. Today, as we commemorate Earth Day and spotlight sustainability efforts in the U.S. maritime industry, we are pleased to have Dr. Eleanor Kirtley, Senior Program Manager with Green Marine, the largest voluntary environmental certification program for the maritime industry in North America. Green Marine's membership has grown steadily since its founding in 2007 and now includes over 350 organizations, including 150 ports, terminal operators, shipyards, and vessel operators who are committed to a sustainable maritime future. Dr. Kirtley is an expert in sustainable maritime operations, efforts to reduce carbon emissions, and environmental protection of our oceans and waterways. She holds a PhD in naval architecture and marine engineering from the University of Michigan, and she just happens to be one of the smartest people I know. Welcome, Dr. Kirtley. We are so pleased to have you with us. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, Jennifer, thank you so much. The pleasure is mine. It's a privilege, and the adoration is 100% reciprocated. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, let's begin at the beginning. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about Green Marine and its mission. Absolutely. Our mission is advancing environmental excellence. We are a voluntary environmental certification program. We certify port authorities, terminal operators, ship owners, shipyards, and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Our participants earn their certification by exceeding regulatory requirements. They complete an annual self-evaluation and have those results verified by one of our independent third-party verifiers. Then that annual certification process culminates in our conference called Green Tech. We have our 14th annual coming up virtually this June. Green Marine, we are a partnership, a binational inclusive partnership. We operate by consensus and we are committed to transparency and most of all, continual self-improvement. Good stuff. Well, earlier this year, the American Maritime Partnership announced a partnership with Green Marine, something that American Waterways Operators has also done. How can Green Marine serve as a resource for U.S. vessel operators and maritime stakeholders? I like to talk about what we deliver in terms of two types of tools, environmental tools and communication tools. On the environmental side, we have our published programs. We have over a dozen performance indicators that cover impacts to air, land, water, and communities. Each of those performance indicators define criteria on a scale of levels one to five, from monitoring of regulations to best practices on up to excellence and leadership at level five. So these performance indicators serve as a framework, a progression for improvement, like an off the shelf vetted 
environmental plan. And then we have a suite of communication tools to help tell the story of meeting those criteria or achieving those performance levels and then some. Our program is comprehensive, but not exhaustive of all the good things our members are doing above and beyond compliance. So we have a suite of tools, our newsletter, magazine, website, Twitter, to help shine a light on all these good things that our members are doing that maybe not enough people know about, that too often our industry is out to sea, out of sight, out of mind. Um, maybe a, not until a giant container ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal are folks paying attention to the importance and the benefits of the maritime industry. So Green Marine is helping our members invest in their social license to help them tell their story backed by the credibility of our certification. Oh, that's fantastic. It is so important to both do the work and tell the story. So speaking of telling the story, the Washington Post ran a magazine story recently on the search for environmental hope. I really liked that title. As we commemorate Earth Day 2021, what do you see that gives you reason for optimism as it relates to Maritime and Green Marine's mission? Yeah, sure. I think these days there's plenty to feel good about, to feel optimistic about. I mean, looking at Green Marine, we've had steady growth over the last 14 years. That's really a testament to the industry's commitment towards stewardship. And even in the last year, we have faced, we have all faced such adversity, such loss due to the pandemic. But now in the last few days, I saw a statistic that we have over 130 million vaccines. Almost half of American adults have at least received a first dose. That's amazing. And then through the last year, the US maritime industry has persevered that you really never know what you're capable of until you have to, until you try. But to the greatest extent, keeping the workforce safe, keeping us all healthy. I am just so humbled and proud and grateful of what we've gotten through. And that for sure gives me optimism on this Earth Day. Uh, I am right with you on that. That is for sure. So, Dr. Kirtley, as one of AWO's members put it recently, he said, there's a lot of learning, innovating, and investing to be done as we work toward a lower carbon future. What do you see happening on the research and technology front that may hold particular promise for maritime applications? I think some of the most exciting maritime applications that I'm seeing are those that are still most easily adopted, like a software technology that can help for optimization, whether it's efficiency in cargo loading, vessel trim, engine speed, voyage planning, just maybe with some simple onboard diagnostics or just the software itself. There are still incremental gains to be had without taking a ship out of rotation, without waiting for a dry dock period for a retrofit or a repower or some more substantial capital investments that largely we have entrepreneurs and innovators in the maritime sector that are answering, yeah, there's an app for that. There's more low hanging fruit that we're still working to take advantage of. And then above and beyond that, we're working towards cleaner and more alternative fuels and energy sources, greater, greater acceptability and adoption of LNG. We're seeing more pilot projects and adoption of biofuels. On the shore side, more smart power technologies, more investments in electrification. Here in Washington state, our ferry fleet is undergoing an exciting conversion to hybrid electric. So great promise for our maritime future. Oh, that really is a lot to feel good about. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. 
On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? So maritime, as you know, is already the most environmentally efficient way to transport bulk commodities. Barge transportation, which is near and dear to my heart, uh, produces 30% less greenhouse gas emissions than rail and more than 1,000% less than trucking. As the administration and Congress discuss a major infrastructure proposal, what opportunities do you see to improve sustainability by investing in our maritime infrastructure? Yeah, well, first sustainability, first and foremost, I think, frankly, maintenance is highly underrated. It's, it's often sexier to tout the bleeding edge of innovation, but really we do still need that critical investment to maintain, to maintain the navigability, water depth, locks and dams. And then after that, let's look forward. We have bigger vessels coming into our ports of call. How then do we handle those greater cargo volumes through the multimodal supply chain? And we need to address climate change. With the effects of storm events and sea level rise, we have ever greater risks to incorporate in planning and development for maritime infrastructure that is resilient. And then I also get excited about the opportunities for short sea shipping, particularly with barge transportation. How can we take better advantage of our inland and coastal marine highways? How can we divert cargo from congested highways to marine vessels? And still with a lens to all of these investments, we have to be thoughtful and considerate, take a lens of environmental and social justice. Absolutely, really a lot of work to be done there, a lot of opportunity. Now, the House Coast Guard and Maritime Transportation Subcommittee of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee held a hearing last week on maritime decarbonization. And Subcommittee Chairman Salud Carbajal of California said, while the challenge can seem daunting, we must recognize and capitalize on the opportunity for American industry to innovate and lead the pack. I really liked that quote. What examples of innovation have you seen from American companies, perhaps those involved in Green Marine? And where do you see opportunity for more leadership and progress? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking me about that hearing. Um, I might be biased because most of the witnesses were members and friends of Green Marine. We're seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of examples from just those witnesses. For example, Kristen Dikas, CEO of Port Wainini, they were the first port in California to achieve Green Marine certification. They're doing great work in community engagement, air quality monitoring, installing shore power, fostering entrepreneurship and technology development. My former company, Gloston, their president, Morgan Fanberg, he was one of those who testified. And they've developed, in addition to all the work they've done with research vessels, tugs, marine construction support, they've also gotten into offshore wind with a tension lake platform for offshore wind turbines the Pelistar. So there's so much more going on from Congress, from industry, in public-private partnerships. Well, since you mentioned offshore wind, that is a great segue here. I chair the American Maritime Partnerships Offshore Wind Subcommittee, and we are really excited about the win-win opportunity for clean energy and American maritime jobs that offshore renewable energy offers. Last month, as you know, President Biden announced a major effort to catalyze the growth of offshore wind at scale, as he put it, in the U.S. How do you see the intersection between renewable energy and maritime industry growth? 
I see the intersection as kind of like a Venn diagram between renewable energy and maritime industry growth, where that intersection of the Venn diagram is the overlap, it's substantial. The way I see it, the governing laws of physics and of chemistry, they don't change between the two. So, so the skill sets and knowledge base around both of these sectors are transferable. If you're thinking about hydrodynamics, seakeeping, materials, risk analysis, marine spatial planning, the workforce can share between renewable energy and maritime industry. That with investment, it's largely all capable and adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I've been really encouraged by is the way that President Biden has connected the dots between renewable energy, American maritime jobs, and the Jones Act. Because in addition to all of the national security, economic security benefits that the Jones Act provides for our country, one of the things it does is it provides certainty to innovators who are looking to invest in new technologies. So as we contemplate the investments that are going to be needed to fully build out offshore wind in the U.S., to pursue some of the decarbonization opportunities that you've highlighted, you know, knowing what the ground rules are is going to be so important. So I just couldn't uh, couldn't not put in a plug for the Jones Act as it relates to sustainability as well as to security. Thank you for letting me give that commercial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the more that we can de-risk these projects that are needed by putting in those certain market triggers so that entrepreneurs and engineers know what they're designing for, that there will be a market demand out there to be met. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the transition to a lower carbon future is really going to be an all hands on deck effort. What opportunities for partnership do you see that maybe we haven't fully explored or maximized the potential of just yet? Yeah, I would even take it a step further and not just call them opportunities for partnership, but really a requirement for partnership. You're right. It's going to take an all hands on deck effort effectively what we have to do to decarbonize is phase out fossil fuels over time, and it will require getting past the chicken and egg problem, kind of where a ship owner, rightfully so, won't build a new vessel to be fueled by an alternative energy that isn't readily available. So we have to look at sourcing for the fuel, transportation to the vessel, bunkering or fueling that vessel, and then the emissions produced or abated in operation. Looking at a system-wide lower carbon future will take a well-to-wake holistic approach. My focus, my background coming from the vessel side, the partnerships I'm looking to are upstream. So how can we look land side? How can we look at the energy providers, the utility companies? And for any new energy source, there, there can be issues around intellectual property. Of course, we're going to need to have a partnership with the regulators who have the authority and responsibility for oversight. That very quickly, there are many seats needed at the table to move the system forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's encouraging that there are so many smart people really putting their best thinking toward this challenge and opportunity. Dr. Kirtley, thank you so much for being with us today. It is always good to talk with you. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your perspective on sustainability and maritime transportation. I hope you know that you have an open invitation on this show and you are welcome back to join us in the future so we can talk about the progress we're making. 
That is all for this episode of American Maritime Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. We encourage you to share it with others who share a love for and interest in American Maritime. This is Jennifer Carpenter signing off. Please stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.